Hoop season is back in New Jersey, and we're back with the Jersey Jump Shot Podcast, Season 5, Episode 2. A lot to talk about from opening night. Six games involving all eight New Jersey Division I squads. We had the full coverage, a lot to discuss, a lot went on. Some stuff went haywire, some big surprises. Gentlemen, welcome back. One night. Nothing like any night in college basketball. Good to be back. Nice to be back on the podcast. Yes, welcome back. This is Jerry Carino, your your host, and my 21st year covering college basketball in the Garden State. That was Chris Eisman welcoming himself back. Chris <laughs> has been knee-deep in Rutgers football. Don't blame him. Surprising season for the Scott Knights on the gridiron, 6-3 in bowlbound, playing really well, so he's been busy there. Steve Edelson joining us again, of course. Uh, and Steve was at Seton Hall St. Peter's last night. Chris and I were at Rutgers Princeton, and so really, Steve, you said nothing better because in college, maybe more than any other sport, you have no idea what to expect. And sure enough, the surprises abounded. Let's start with surprise number one. Not a shock, not a shock, but Princeton 68, Rutgers 61 in the Jersey Jam. First meeting between these old rivals in 10 years. Game is in Trenton at Cure Insurance Chris. Your impressions of the game and the and they played hard and they played harder than Rutgers did last night. I mean, let's be honest; they just out they were the better team and and they deserve the win and they got it. Listen, if you're Rutgers, it's one game, but there's certainly things that you have to clean up. You have to be better around the rim. You have to, you can't miss that many layups and expect to win a game. You have to get better play out of your guards. Um, it just just offensively, they just struggled for too much of that game. And you know, you fall into a 12-4 hole. You know, you put yourself in a really early disadvantage. Um, and it was just uh, they just couldn't complete the comeback. And again, credit to Princeton. They did what they had to do. You know, if you're Rutgers, you're looking for some positive signs. Antoine Wolfolk played really well. Uh, Oscar Pomquist hit some big shots. But you just got to get more, like I said, out of your backcourt. Um, it was a quiet debut for Gavin Griffiths. So, again, only one game. But there's certainly things that Rutgers has to do to, to uh, you know, improve on here going forward. And they're going to have plenty of opportunities to do that. All right, I'll, just, I'll mention my thoughts on the game, and then Chris will talk about the event and maybe its future. Uh, so, agree, totally agree that it's one game. There's no need to for anybody to push the panic button. What you saw from Princeton was those five guys who played the bulk of the game all played together last year. And Mitch Henderson is an outstanding coach. His guys run really good stuff. He also has a built-in advantage that a lot of other coaches don't have in 2023, and that is continuity. No one in their right mind is leaving Princeton before they get their degree. That's a life-changing thing. The best university in the United States, one of the best in the world. So, you know, Mitch has five guys who've been together, and it showed. And that really manifests itself on opening night. Uh, The big surprise for me from Princeton was not how they executed. It was how physical and tough they are. And they really took the fight to Rutgers. And, you know, let's face it. They beat Rutgers to a lot of 50-50 balls. They beat them on the boards badly in the first half. They beat them in second-chance points. Those are hustle stats that Steve Peichel's team normally owns. That's normally an edge for Rutgers. It was an edge for Princeton last night. That was a surprise to me. Not that Princeton shot well, not that they executed well, not that they were poised. We knew all that going in. Really good showing for Princeton. I do agree with Steve Peichel. It seems like an NCAA tournament team. Now, Yale is really, really good. We'll see how good Yale is when they visit Gonzaga over the weekend. But this Princeton team is really good. So no shame in losing that game. On the Rutgers side, what you saw was a team with a lot of new. You mentioned the backcourt. 
you know, you have almost an entirely new backcourt. You're trying to fit in a new point guard, uh, a freshman wing guard who's highly touted, a backup freshman point guard, a transfer uh, in Austin Williams who's in the backcourt. Like four out of the five guys in the backcourt are new, basically. And so that's that showed itself. You know, they look like they need some time to gel and work together. Uh, the flip side and the other side of that is they're missing a key guy, Mawat Mag. We knew how badly Rutgers missed him last year. You saw that again in the toughness, the rebounding, the defense. So he was missed. He might be out for a few more weeks, as he he as Steve Peichel made very clear yesterday. Mawat Mag will decide when he comes back. Not a doctor, not Steve Peichel. Mag makes his decision when he's comfortable that he's 100% ready to go. That's just the way the world is now, and that's you got to take care of your health first. So. The other thing is about the game last night is that, um, you know, Rutgers got some things from his bench, which was a plus, like you said, but on the minus side, and I think this was a plus for Steve Peichel, like he he yanked his starters who didn't defend well. You know, Cliff got beat for a couple offensive rebounds early in the game. He came out for five minutes before the under-16 timeout. That's coaching. Uh, you know, Gavin Griffiths, who did not really play well on the defensive end, we knew it was going to be a work in process in progress. But if you don't play defense for Steve Peichel, you're gonna you're gonna see the bench. So Steve is coaching; it's a teaching tool, and to me, that's what last night was about for Rutgers more than the loss. All right, Chris. Now to the event. What did you think? I didn't love it. I'll just say that I didn't love it. Listen, I think it was great, obviously, to have Rutgers and Princeton playing again. I thought it what that was fantastic. I'm sure it took. A, I know. Well, we know it took a lot for that to happen. I just didn't feel like the environment matched the magnitude of that. Uh, there was. I mean, there was what, 6,100 people there that they said was the announced? Right, maybe a little less than that, maybe 5,500. Yeah, there was a lot of empty seats. was the announced crowd. There was a lot of empty seats. I mean, it was a pro Rutgers crowd, obviously, but there was just it – just, you didn't get that same – I didn't get that same feeling as if I'd be, you know, at, at the Rack or Jersey Mike's Arena or, you know, I'm sure even Jadwin, I've never covered a game there, but I'm sure that place gets going too. And it just didn't feel like – it, I didn't feel like I was at a season opening basketball game between two New Jersey schools. It just, it felt very strange. And, and then from what I understand and from what everybody's saying and very loudly that there was a lot of parking issues and people had a tough time getting in and it was just a disaster outside. So I just, from that aspect, I just was disappointed in the environment. I think that if they continue this and they want to do it there, there's a lot that needs to be improved and fixed. And quite frankly, I'd like to see the games being played on campuses rather than in Trenton at Cure Insurance Arena. Just, it, I don't know what you felt, Jerry. I just didn't. It didn't feel right. Those are all fair criticisms. I want to give Steve Peichel credit for playing the game where a lot of coaches shy away from playing Princeton. I give him credit for that. Uh, yeah, that, were, that is fine. But yeah. where the game was played is my problem. Right. And there were a lot of problems with the parking. I discussed it with Rick Giles. You know, the people running the venue did not do a good job with the parking. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of nightmares with the parking and the traffic flow. They – you know, I discussed this, like I said, with the event organizer, Rick Giles, who really brokered the matchup. He's not in charge of the parking, but it's his event. Uh, so they can't they can't do this again under these circumstances. Like they're going to if they're going to go back to Trenton, they have to do a weekend where there's no like residual traffic in the neighborhood. Uh, they have to obviously do a much better job with the parking. Rick talked about maybe expanding this, you know, including a Seton Hall, a Monmouth, a Philly team making it a double or triple header. Maybe the Prudential Center is a better venue for that. Rick has ties there. He had, he brokered Rutgers, Mississippi State, the matchup in December. That's his game, the Gazelle Group. Uh, maybe Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. It, it, it does have to be rethought a little bit about the venue, the timing of the game. I do like it early in the season. Maybe a weeknight's not the best time. So 
Glad the, the game is, you know, the series, the rivalry is back. Hope it sticks around in some fashion. Some tweaks needed. We can all agree on that. So, but it's a heck of a lot better than, you know, Rutgers pounding on some low major team by 30 points in a snooze fest. But still, can you make it better? That's something that any good event organizer and the principals involved will look at if this event does have a future, which I hope it does. Yeah, so, no doubt. Like I said, I thought it was a great matchup. It was great seeing those teams play. I totally agree with you. They should play every year. Um, it's, it's great for New Jersey. It's great for college basketball fans here. It's great for fans of both programs. My point, just play it somewhere else. That's right. And Princeton fans did a bad job. Like Rutgers fans held up there into the bargain. Princeton fans did not. They didn't show up. Uh, I know they're there because they dominated the South Regional in Louisville last year. Uh, and so Princeton Athletic Department did a terrible job. They scheduled a women's game, very good women's program, the same time. They they didn't bus students to up to 15 minutes to Trenton, down to Trenton. So they did a bad job. They didn't back this game as they should have. So yeah, this is the time to capitalize on what happened last season. I mean, I don't know why they didn't do that. It, that they, makes no sense to me. It almost did, a huge waste of opportunity. They did a terrible job. I feel bad for Princeton's players. They deserve better support there from their fan base and their and their athletic department. All right, Steve, you were at the Rock last night. Seton Hall, 70. St. Peter's, 59. It wasn't that easy, though. It was a lot closer than 11 points, right? Tell us about it. Yeah, a lot closer than 11 points. And, you know, listen, I mean, the ultimate takeaway is they won, right? They they gutted out a win, you know, against an in-state rival who came in there. You know, this was their Super Bowl. So, hey, there's that. You know, I think I think when you look down, what really catches your eye that is that in a season opener against a team, you know, from a much a much lower level, your top three guys all played thirty five plus minutes in that game, you know, to get the win because you had to. Um, so I I think right there that's one of the takeaways. You know, Seton Hall's top four they're really good. They're as good as anyone. Right. It's what happens after that. That's going to be the key. And I, I think that was really evident in this first game. A couple of things that caught my attention, you know, from I didn't see it, but reading the box, reading your account, you know, listening to the press conference. Uh, so Kadari Richmond, obviously, he was did a tremendous all around game. I mean, he oh, was on his way to a quadruple double. It's just sick how good he is. But 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 beyond him and we know he's good. Obviously, he's an elite player beyond him. uh you know, you wrote this, Al Dawes, when he finally got hot, it made, he changed the game. Like, they need Dawes to make those shots. And he's a better catch-and-shoot player than creating off the dribble. And, like, my impression is, you tell me, Steve, but those buckets in that streak that pulled Seton Hall away were catch-and-shoot threes, right, off screens. Yeah, absolutely. And those changed the game. That changed the complexion of the game, and it changed the energy for Seton Hall when he hit those shots. You know, it was like it broke everything free. Um, so, again, he is huge. I think, you know, the other guy, you know, that really, really, uh, really kind of sparked them with his hustle was Dylan Wusu because I got to tell you, he was on the floor. He was driving. When he drives, he can get to the rim. He's a very physical player. He's going to be a key for, for Seton Hall for sure. And, and I, I think the energy that he provided was really – I don't think they would have won without him. Plus minus of plus 18 tops in the game for Dylan. right? Yes. Yeah. And he, no, he was good. The only, the only reason he didn't play 35 minutes because he's foul trouble, right? Otherwise, he would have been out there the whole time too. Yeah, he's a straw that stirs the drink. He's a hustle glue guy that you need. So Seton Hall solid through four. We kind of knew that again. They didn't get much production from their center position, Steve. That's worrisome. 
No, no. And, and I got to tell you that, you know, they had their hands full with, with St. Peter's inside St. Peter's held their own, you know? So, you know, if, if your bigs are combining, your two centers are combining for, you know, eight points and, and four rebounds against this team, well, what are you going to do, you know, in a, in a rugged big East game? So I think there's a lot to work out there. No one seemed worried. You know, the players were asked about it. You know, they said, look, these guys are going to come along. We believe in them. You know, so did Holloway. So we'll see. But, you know, there's clearly work to do there. And, and again, when you look at how rugged the schedule is that lies ahead, you know, they're going to have to really step up. This is a real player development challenge for Shaheen Holloway and his staff. Like they they don't have to develop eight all eight guys beyond the big four, but they got to develop like three or four of them and fast. And some of those guys are freshmen and newcomers. Right. Because yeah, otherwise, how are you going to withstand the Big East schedule? Yeah. And I mean, listen, they played eight guys. That's all they played last night until garbage time. I think, I think eight guys played more than three minutes, you know, so, you know, that that's what they're working with right now. And, and I think you have to look at that, you know, is Jaquan Sanders going to really step up? I think that's the guy they really need to step up. You know, uh, I think uh, Isaiah Coleman got a really good run last night. You know, I think he has got some potential. So there's guys there. Uh, it will be interesting to see who steps up, though. I do think FDU – now, listen, we'll get to FDU in a minute. They had a great yeah. win last night, 92-86 to 86 at Buffalo. It was a big-time win. FDU comes to Walsh on Saturday, but they play a different style. Maybe their style – you know, they go up and down the court. They don't they don't drag into these grind-out grind out possessions. Maybe their style will help some of Seton Hall's younger guys, like an Isaiah Coleman – who likes to run the court, maybe that'll help him feel at home. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I, I think I think we do have to take a minute to talk about St. Peter's. Sure. You know, and 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 I think the one takeaway is I mean, they were picked to finish 10th in the Mac. I would be stunned if that team finishes 10th in the Mac. You know, the 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 starting five is very good, very athletic. You know, I mean, they they really looked looked the part against Seton Hall uh, for most of that game. So I, I think Bashir Mason's got something going. I think I think that program's growing. It certainly looks like a better team than he had last year, and they have a lot of new phases, seven transfers. Um, but, you know, they and, and it was nice to see that Latrell Reed, you know, uh, kind of a holdover for a Holloway recruit, Right, you know, had a nice game, fourteen points. So that was a nice story. But I think St. Peter's, you know, they certainly looked better and and they played well. So it was nice to see that. Good for them. And we know Bashir Mason can coach. He did a heck of a job at Wagner. So not really surprising, but good to see they've taken a step forward. Uh, so promising start for them, even in the loss. All right, Steve. Uh, Mammoth goes to George Mason, loses seventy two sixty one. What do you think? You watched the stream of this game as much as you could. Yeah, I did, and I saw a good amount of it. Uh, look, this is a much better Mammoth team. I mean, they were within striking distance, you know, late into the second half, you know, against a, a, an Atlantic 10 team that won 20 games last year and brought in a bunch of Power Five transfers. So, I I think you had to be you had to be happy with that. You know, this team was what it was was Mammoth was competitive, right? They were in the game, all game. You know, they were 11.5 underdogs going into that game, 11.5 points. They lost by 11, right? They played well. They really did. Xander Rice is very good. You know, he had 21 points. Jack Collins from Manasquan, who was an all-CA rookie player last year, had 17. You know, they're, they're really going to be the core for Mammoth this year. But I think what when you look at Mammoth, what people are going to be surprised at is the level of their young talent. You know, um, 
Boog Robinson from Camden, freshman forward. He is really good. Um, you know, and they got some other kids, Jared Valencia, 6'9", redshirt freshman forward, long. So I think that's my takeaway from Monmouth is they're a better team. We'll see how much better, but it was a really nice start. Okay, and first career head coaching win for Tony Skin at George Mason, who is a former Seton Hall assistant who we know well. So good for him, and congrats to Tony. Uh, all right, FDU was another big story of the night. 92-86, they go up to Buffalo. They take the money and run. They took the bye game, the guarantee, and got the W. Joel Emmanuel, sophomore forward, 24 points, 11 rebounds, three assists. I mean, just a, a huge breakout. And I – you know, you got to love Jack Castleberry in his first head coaching and his head coaching debut, winning that game. The seamlessness with the way they play from Tobin Anderson kind of handed it off to him. It's all there. Joe Munden Jr., 18 points. FDU's legit, Steve. Oh, absolutely. And, what you know, just talking to Jack last week on the podcast, you know, the, the enthusiasm and, and I mean, he, I really think it's going to be an incredible run again this year. I mean, it's going to be great for New Jersey hoops and uh, re- really good to see them kind of, you know, following up from last year and try and build on that early this year. They got to the free throw line 36 times, 36 times. They had 18 assists to only six turnovers. I mean, this is, this is a fun basketball team. So we, you know, I'll see them Saturday, but, not surprised they won, but impressed nonetheless. Good start for them. Uh, just two really quick hitters. Grant Bill Myers had coaching debut. Our friend at Seton Hall, former Seton Hall, uh, former Seton Hall guy, now running the ship at NJIT. Miami 101, NJIT 60. You know, you're, a, you're really going into like the, the Lions then going down there to open for NJIT. But the good news is Elijah Buchanan came back. He had been injured at 8.7 rebounds. Uh, Adam has 14 points for the Highlanders. So can't really judge them on that game. They got the payday, learning experience. So Grant Billmar getting his feet wet there. And Ryder, 113, Immaculata of Pennsylvania, 67. I don't really know what to read into that. It's a subdivision one team. Uh, you know, these games aren't really great to play for the sport, which is why we kind of celebrate a Rutgers-Princeton. But we know Ryder's good, but who knows? What can you pull out of that game? Not a whole lot. So, gentlemen, pretty good stuff. Lot to talk about. We're off to a flying start. It's basketball season, right? That's what. Uh, that's the kind of season, the kind of opening day that surprises, questions, statements. This is what it's all about. All right. This is episode two, season five of Jersey Jump Shot. We'll be back next week with coverage of the weekend's games and looking ahead to what should be a little more intrigue on the hardwood in the Garden State.